Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 462 and our last episode before Christmas. My name's Valerie Koo. You're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, and I'm your co-host. You'll find a wonderfully supportive writing community here and also um, some great writing courses at the Australian Writer Centre. I'm here with my co-host and partner in crime for the last seven years, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of The Wolf's Howl, A Maven and Reeve Mystery. How are you, Al? <laughs> well, Valerie, I have to confess that I am a little bit sad today. I am too. I know, um, <laughs> because actually today is, is my last recording of So You Want to Be a Writer. Oh, my um, goodness. I know. It's uh, it's it is very difficult, um, but after few collective tears from I all know. over the community. I know. I think I just after seven years, um, as you said, um, you know, we have been through a lot together here as a community. So much. Seven years. Um, you know, I've written uh, eight novels, and we have co-authored a book in that time. And I just think um, that after seven years, it's I'm, I've got an itch. I have to confess um, <laughs> that I it's time for me to you know to hang up my my so you want to be a writer microphone. Um, I think I'll be back. You know, I think I'll come back for some for some oh, random co-hosty event things. Anytime and you things. are welcome back anytime. Yeah, I just think the <laughs> the weekly podcast is. Um, I just need to to step back from that for now and um I'm gonna miss you well I'm gonna miss you like our weekly chats are actually a <laughs> highlight of my life as you know um Likewise. because of course you know you guys get to hear what we record but you don't get to hear the the full <laughs> hour of discussion that goes on before we press record um so yes I'm definitely going to miss that but we of course will chat anyway um but yeah I just I feel like I need to make some space in my creative life at the moment uh you yeah. you, you've all been with me for the last couple of years you know that it has been um I think even just listening to me there's probably been more fair to middling than <laughs> than even usual um for me which is you know I know I'm the Eeyore in this partnership um and that is my role here but uh there has probably been a bit more than usual and I I think that um I have been struggling particularly in the last six months or so there's been a lot of um there's been a lot of me um, supporting other people in the last six months of this mm. year, um, as you would have probably all picked up on from our conversations. And I just feel like I need to go into next year thinking about, you know, focusing probably on what I want to do for a while. And yeah. that's so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just sort of like I'm going to open up some space, some creative space in my life. Um, and then I'm going to walk into it and just see what occurs because I think that's sort of I have been wor working relentlessly, as you yes. know, for a long time and uh, you guys have been with me on this journey uh, over the last seven years, weekly. You will have heard the ups, the downs, the the in-betweens and I just feel like I need to, to create a bit of space there. Of course, I'm still going to be talking because I, I have the Your Kids Next Read podcast. Yes. Uh, which I do with me, uh, co-host with Megan Daly over at Children's Books Daily, um, and of course the Your Kids Next Read uh, Facebook community. So I'm still going to be keeping um, keeping uh, tabs on all of those things. If you want to hear what I'm up to on a regular basis, you can of course tune into that to that podcast on a weekly on a weekly level. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm I'm, and, I'm and making podcast, some changes. And that podcast is ideal for people who are interested in. 
children's fiction of all yeah. kinds. Uh, right. We talk about we talk about what's um, what's being published. We talk about um, we talk about what sorts of uh, of books and all different types of books, all different types of readers. Um, if you are a parent or carer or teacher librarian, or if you work with kids in any way in your professional life, if you want to write for children on any level, um, it is a great podcast. Megan has a huge amount of knowledge. She's a a teacher librarian. Um, she brings she brings a different perspective to children's fiction to what I have. Um, and I, of course, also talk about, you know, writing for children. We talk about, um, I talk a lot about actually, you know, writing tips for actual children as well. Um, mm. And, yeah, it's 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 kind of like where, my, I mean, over the seven years uh, where my creative professional life has kind of drifted, obviously, into children's mm. fiction. Um, although I will say that <laughs> just... Just as a matter of interest, I have started writing a novel for adults um, again. Yeah, so I'm working on that picture book idea that I've been talking about for a while mm. and I've actually sort of dipped my toe back into adult fiction again. I think I just really need to make some changes, I, you know, at the end yes. of the day. Um, and so that's what I'm doing. So if you want to hear, you know, what Book Boy's up to and what, what Book Boy Junior's up to and keep on tabs on on uh, Procrastive Pup in all his glory, <laughs> uh, you will, of course, you know, hear about it on your kids next read podcast i will still be active on all of my social media uh channels but also there's your newsletter and my newsletter of course which you can sign up for at alisontait.com a-l-l-i-s-o-n-t-a-i-t.com um so i would love it if you would uh choose to keep in touch with me in in some way shape or form i'll still be in the so you want to be a writer podcast group on occasion as well because of course i can't not have my two cents worth um and I'll still be part of the community um I'm just not going to be you know here every week that's all oh my goodness after seven years I actually don't know what I'm going to do with myself I mean of course sometimes when Alison has been on holidays I have flown solo however it's like losing a right arm and I know that I'm going to have to go through a period of adjustment and to figure out how I'm going to navigate life without Alison on our weekly chats Um, but I am a absolute firm believer that you need to follow where your creative leaning is going and where your creative curiosity is heading you towards. And you also kind of know when something isn't necessarily where you should be spending your time and you need to, as you say, open the time up, not that it's a bad thing or anything like that, but you need to open that space up to allow the other creative stuff to flow in. And I completely and a thousand percent get that, even though very selfishly, I, of course, wish I could talk to you forever. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, of, of all the people in the whole world who are more than capable of doing this, you know, as a solo project, uh, you would be it, Valerie. So I, I have no qualms that that the podcast and the community are going to be in, um, you know, stellar solo hands. There's no issue with that. But I, I, I would say that to people as well. If you are listening, um, I think... I, like if you're anything like me, like I, I am someone who, you know, I, I, I show up. So when when I'm doing something, I show up for it and I will mm. continue to show up for it and continue to show up for it and continue yeah. to show up for it. Sometimes even when I'm, you know, even as I'm wrestling with the idea of, is this where I want to be? Is this what what, mm. what I should be doing with my time? And I think, you know, as you said to me um, 
when we had a conversation about this a little while ago, you know, I think deep down in your heart, in your instincts, you always know, and you can make a thousand arguments with yourself as to why you should keep doing this thing that you're doing. Um, And there are always going to be lots of great reasons to keep doing it. Absolutely. Mm. Like there's a million reasons why I could continue to just go on as, as normal and Mm. do this, you know, next year as well. Um, But there was just part of me that was finding it harder and harder to show up. And you yeah. have to listen to that part of you because it does impact on you creatively everywhere. If you're yeah. feeling that somewhere in your life, then it is going to impact on you everywhere. And so I I, I think I have always been one who finds it difficult to know, you know, the precise moment to leave the party because, you know, I want to stay. I'm having a, you know, a relatively good time and I want to stay. And um, But sometimes you have to know when the prime moment to leave for you is. And, you know, at the moment I need to step out of the party. So mm, there you go. Mm-mm. Think about well, your party and whether you need to still be there. <laughs> yes, because even if you're having an absolutely fantastic time at your party, if you drink too much, you know, exactly. what's going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> and never, ever move venues. That's my one tip for you. <laughs> if the party decides to move somewhere else at midnight, that's when you go home. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So the good thing is that you can still connect with Alison. Um, as Alison mentioned, she's on social media. There's her newsletter. There's the Your Kids Next Read podcast. We'll put the links in the um, So You Want to Be a Writer Facebook group. Um but I know that it is definitely the end of an era. <laughs> and even though that uh, the podcast is going to continue, obviously it's going to be a little bit different. I'm not even sure how it's going to look or sound or whatever, but I can guarantee you that I will be uh, encouraging Alison to come back for guest episodes. That's for sure. <laughs> That's and of for course sure. I would love to. I reckon <laughs> I'd make an excellent guest episode. Like I, I think I'm, I'm the, I, I could be excellent for just that. You know what? I think I just will need to do something different next week. I'll, I'll ring out and see what we can yes. do. Yeah. Yes. And occasionally, you know how Al sometimes gets on the occasional rant? Well, <laughs> sometimes she may need an outlet and I will be more than happy <laughs> to come onto the podcast. Like I'm on my soapbox <laughs> this week about this. Yeah. Well, it's always something really good and interesting about the industry. So, mm. you know. Mm. But... Um, before I get all emotional about it, let us move into the rest of the episode. We wanted to let you guys know the big news up front. So you heard it here first. You did. Yes. Now let's move on to our giveaway. We have, remember that massive holiday reading 15 book pack where you can immerse yourself in a range of genres in 2022 because this fabulous book pack will have you set up for gifts or reading throughout the whole year. It includes picture books, romance, thrillers, contemporary fiction, short stories, cookbooks, personal development, true stories, and heaps more. Now, some of the novels that are in it include Gold Diggers by Sanjana Sathian, The Shearer's Wife by Fleur MacDonald, The 22 Murders of Madison May by Max Barry, The Countess of Curabilly by Joyce Morgan, Kill Your Brother by Jack Heath, Thursdays at Orange Blossom House by Sophie Green, When the War Was Here by Roxanne Valetsos, Magpie's Bend by Maya Linnell, and many more. Go to writercentre.com.au slash win 
Entries close on the 27th of December. So writerscenter.com.au slash win and we will ship that book pack out to you. Mm. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that we've written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. So, Al, <laughs> this is the last time. Uh, okay, I'm going this is the to actual reason this. why I, <gasps> I can't no. do another year of Word of the Week. <laughs> this is not. This is the underlying reason. <laughs> Seven years of Word of the Week. <laughs> no, it's not. The, the last time I'm going to say this. Al, are you ready for the Word of the Week? <laughs> God, I'm so ready. <laughs> All so right. Okay. Pavanine. That's P-A-V-O-N-I-N-E. Pavanine. Do you know what it is? Uh, no idea. Oh, it's an adjective and it means um, like a peacock or like peacock's feathers. So you could say everyone in the room turned to gaze at her as she strutted in with her Pavanine outfit. Uh-huh. You could. Yep. You, you could can. say that. I <laughs> honestly, if anyone has ever seen that word used in such context, please let us know in the Facebook group. <laughs> All right. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Creative Nonfiction, is your essential guide to crafting a true story into a compelling, page-turning book. Creative nonfiction is one of the most popular genres in publishing right now, and it's clear to see why people love a good story. And if it's based on true events, they're even more invested in it. Perhaps you want to explore true crime, history, or literary journalism. Maybe you have a great idea for a memoir or armchair travel book. It doesn't matter what subject you're passionate about, this course provides you with a blueprint on everything you need to know, from how to structure your story and bring its real characters to life, to the kind of research you need to do and the techniques that will drive your narrative to a powerful climax. With over 10 hours of lessons and plenty of practical exercises to complete, you'll discover how to weave your true story into a truly great read. This powerful course removes the guesswork and breaks down the process step-by-step step so you can approach your writing project with confidence. And because it's one of our online self-paced courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentercomau slash creative nonfiction. That's writerscentercomau slash creative nonfiction. So, Al, are you ready for our writer in residence this week? I actually am ready for our writer in residence this week because it's, I, I think it's going to be a really, really interesting interview. Yes, absolutely. I reckon we are finishing the year with a bang. I absolutely loved this book. 
by Ed Ayres. It's called Whole Notes. Now, people might be familiar with Ed Ayres because he is um, on ABC Weekend Classic FM, and he is a teacher, a music teacher, a broadcaster. He had previously hosted the art show as well. He has written um, other books, including Cadence, about his journey by bicycle from England to Hong Kong with only a violin for company, and Danger Music, describing his year teaching music in Afghanistan. So Whole Notes is life lessons through music, and it is beautifully written. Um, and I, it was just such a, a pleasure to have a chat um, about this book and about his writing process to Ed Ayres. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ed. My pleasure. Thanks, thanks for inviting me. Oh, this book, Whole Notes, uh, I love it so much. There's so much I want to talk to you about, so much I want to ask you. Whole Notes, Life Lessons Through Music for Listeners who haven't got a copy yet, and they should, can you tell us what it's about? Okay, so I'm a musician and I have been playing music basically since I was very young, since I was about six. And I have performed professionally. I I used to play professionally um, in my 20s and early 30s. And then I started to travel and went and became a a radio uh, presenter in Hong Kong where I'd been playing and uh, sort of moving around, eventually came here to Australia and started to do a bit more teaching. So over the years, I mean, it's been quite a few years now, I'm 54. Um, I, I guess, you know, you do something for a very long time, whether it's playing or teaching or just kind of mucking around with music. And uh, in the end, it just goes so deep that I suppose you want to write about it. and you realise how many lessons you learn through music. So so that's the kind of essence of the book, of what I've learned through playing myself and teaching music, what I've learned about life in general. Okay, so you describe yourself as a musician. I would suggest that you are a lot more than a musician. I think you're a polymath because (laughs) you're a musician, you're a writer, you're a radio presenter, you've done so many different things, but that's that's another that's another conversation but what was the trigger that made you think I'm ready to write the book now because it's writing a book is a big undertaking it's not like going to the supermarket and buying some shots what made you think I'm ready to do this big thing well that's a great question I think that uh, writing a book it's so intense you know I've written uh, four books now and each one at the end of it, I said to myself, never again. <laughs> and so then a certain amount of time passes and you forget the struggle and the difficulty of the blank page. Uh, mind you, with this whole note, that actually didn't happen. Um, but I, I, think, I think ultimately it was that I really wanted to write down my deepest thoughts and beliefs about music, that, that for me, music is, is virtually a religion that there's there's so much that you can learn essentially about yourself but also um about interactions with other people through music and and I suppose from teaching you know I sort of saw that the things I would talk about would often you know have a really good effect on my students at whatever age 
And so even though, you know, this book is, is basically aimed at, a, at an older age, um, I suppose, you know, younger people can read it definitely. Um, so I wanted to, to really share those deep thoughts. And, and I guess there's also a sort of element of mortality about it, but, you know, you get to a certain age and your friends are starting to die and you just kind of think, well, you know, I could cark it at any moment. And I mean, not that I will, <laughs> well, who knows? I mean, who knows whether I will, but, but look, I guess, I guess that was ultimately it, that, that I wanted to really gather and garner all these thoughts in one spot. Okay, so we're going to come back to that because there's so much to discuss about the idea of writing about music, but also writing about really, as you say, life lessons, not just about music. But take us back to that first book because you were you were a musician at the time. What yes. made you think, I'm going to write now really, <laughs> really long things? <laughs> yes, look, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, my first book, Cadence, which was written under my uh, female name, Emma, um, that was uh, actually Harper Collins came to me with an offer. They just loosely said, write us a book. And so I initially said, no, I'm not a writer. You know, I've got a I've got an O-level music that I took. Sorry, an O-level in English that I took when I, when I was 16. I know nothing about writing a book. I mean, I'd, I'd like to read. I don't read a lot. Uh, I used to read quite a lot. So I suppose I just I just started writing and that book was about a big bike ride. And I guess writing is like going for a long bike ride. You know, you just keep going because people say, oh, how do you write a book? And I said, well, you know, if you write a thousand words a day, then after 70 days, you've got a book. Really? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, of course, there's planning involved, but but it's true, isn't it? You know that when you break it down actually into little chunks, it's like going for a long bike ride. Like that book was about my cycle ride from England to Hong Kong. And people said, how on earth did you do it? Well, let's say, well, you ride 80 kilometers in a day, you know, just for a training ride. Well, I did that, but just kept going in the same direction. Okay, but riding a book is slightly different to riding a bike a really long way because you <laughs> will get to the end of your bike ride. However, with the book, you may well get enough words for a book, but it needs to really hang together. Yes. Now, what I'd love to talk about is the way you've structured this is that you've got different sections and it's like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. They're the notes of the of an octave. Well, yeah. you know, seven notes. And they all correspond to a different topic like kindness or resilience or love or whatever. How did you then, where, how did you come up with that and why? Well, I guess the planning of the book, that's, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a duh thing to say, but it is absolutely crucial. Although I do know that some writers just start writing and just mm. see where they go. For me, I do definitely need a really clear structure. And then once I've got that structure, I can be free within it and change it, of course, if, um, if that's what happens. But I do find that my brain works best when I have a clear direction or a clear sort of subject that I'm writing about. So look, I do it really, really old school. I get little pieces of paper, I get A4 paper. Um, my, my partner, Charlie, is a retired midwife. So I have the Queensland, Queensland Midwifery Foundation um, uh, paper as my kind of spare paper in the, in the music room here. And so I got a lot of that, tore it into little pieces of paper over the kind of year that I was thinking about this book, um, 
wrote down, jotted down notes in my phone because I figured that's easiest. I usually have my phone with me. Um, so jotted down those little ideas and then over the year thought about, OK, how do I want to structure this? I like the idea of seven, you know, because you've got some seven notes in the octave or the seven musical notes. And and then I thought about the seven graces. Seven is such an important and sort of magical and quite a deeply spiritual number. So I thought, oh, this is all sort of going quite nicely. Um, so, so then I just thought, well, what have I learned from music? And, and I wanted to make it a really positive book as well. I think that there's so much musicians, often classical musicians, musicians especially, we can give ourselves a lot of negativity. And I wanted to make it really positive. This is my philosophy with teaching as well. I try not to use the word don't or the, you know, the, the uh, small, the two words do not um, in lessons or no. I always try and make it a positive thing in lessons. So I wanted to do that in this book as well. So then I thought, well, I've got these seven ideas and then um, putting together the, my notes, writing them on little pieces of paper, putting out the seven uh, chapters, the seven sort of headers on the floor here, and then just laying down, okay, little ideas, okay, that one goes there, that one goes there. I was terrified a, a blast of wind was gonna come in and just like, you know, strew it all. So I'd take a photograph at the end of each, each sort of session to make sure that, you know, my dog Happy didn't come in, you know, like tear it up with the horse <laughs> or something. Um, so look, it's just sort of slowly built up from that. So you had your seven sections, so to speak, and through the year you said you start, you wrote notes. I, I sound, it sounds like on your phone first and then you transferred them onto the, onto the paper. But what were those notes? Like were they, oh, that's an anecdote that I think I should include or was it, look, you know. That's a, a great what, question. Um, so here, I'll just get, I'll just grab these notes up now. So a whole note. So for instance, uh, one of the notes is hand up the horn. I don't know why I wrote that. I learned the horn for this book. So, um, oh, I wrote hand up horn, James Herriot. So I was, actually, I didn't include it in the book, but um, I was James Herriot, the vet would stick his oh. horn, um, a, a, a cow to, you know, help with birth. So I, I figured that it was something like sticking my hand up the horn. That didn't make it in the book. Um, hearing the unsaid, the five levels of listening. So quite often these notes, and this is a warning actually, for you if you're listening and thinking, okay, make notes on my phone. But look, all I can say is make really clear notes because I read <laughs> these sometimes and I think, what did I mean? What did I mean with that? The, in fact, one of these notes is, I still don't understand it, the good and the bad of that. What does that mean? I have no idea. So that's definitely didn't make it into the book. Okay, so it sounds that they were actually more like concepts as opposed to entire yeah. stories that you oh, were, you oh, know. Oh, definitely, yeah. So I'm a lazy person. <laughs> and, and by that, I think... I don't think lazy, so, anyway. <laughs> I think uh, that laziness is a really... I, I like to think anyway, just what I used to tell my teachers. Uh, laziness is a positive thing because you find the easiest way to do something. And so I didn't want to sit there like typing out, you know, a whole great big long thing. So I figured I'll just give myself enough of a prompt, which didn't always work, but enough <laughs> of a prompt to then be able to go, oh, yes, what a brilliant idea later on when I had my little pieces of paper. So um, you decide you're going to write this book that's 
a kind of a memoir and it's going to be about music. And did you, you then decided to learn the horn and mm. take lessons as a beginner, find yeah. a teacher, all that kind of stuff. Did you do that specifically so you could have a narrative arc or were you going to learn the horn anyway? No, I did it specifically for a narrative arc because wow. what I want for the book is for people of any age and like any, any, any condition, any educational level, anything, any background to come to the end of the book and go, right, that's it. I'm finally going to learn whatever it is that they want to learn. The bagpipes, the piano, the clarinet, whatever. Um, so I figured, well, I spent six years at music college. I was a, a professional player. Uh, so I've got a little bit of a sort of an advantage. So I figured um, if I want to convey the beginner's experience, then I should write about it from a first person perspective. And what I then need to do, because I've got such a head start, is to give myself the hardest instrument and from a family that I know nothing about, which is, so I'm a strings player. Mm. I know nothing about the brass family. I mean, what a mysterious world this is. First of all, you can clean the horn, you know, with uh, stuff from the car wash, uh, which you definitely can't do for the cello. Um, and, and what a mysterious world. So I chose the hardest instrument in that family, which is the horn or the French horn, as it used to be known. It's really just called the horn now. So yeah, so, so I, I, I found this teacher in Brisbane, Peter Luff, who it turned out was one of the best horn teachers in the world. I mean, how lucky was that? And I, he, he knew me from the radio from ABC Classic. And he said, sure, I'll teach you. And I explained, you know, it's about the book and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I really, I, I absolutely struck gold with Peter and, and I struck gold with the horn. I love the horn. Just before we've had this interview, I was doing my hours horn practice today. Still sounding wow. pretty shoddy, I have to say, but, but look, I love it. I love how hard it is. And it was wonderful to be able to write about that quite honestly in the book. And uh, you are not lazy. You just did an hour's horn practice. I rest my case. But anyway, so you do have this narrative arc throughout the book, um, not just about you playing the horn, but about other things in, in your life. And, but you also pepper it with stories, well, from your own life, but also stories of your teachers, your students, um, both children and adults, um, and so on. And they are all... Um, stories that are independent of each other but fit in with the theme of that particular section yeah. now I marveled at the complexity yet simplicity of how that all fit together so I have to ask then because it sounds like those notes on the bits of paper were more conceptual how did you then decide on the stories that we're going to go in each section yeah that's a that's a great question so I am quite a visual planner I can't um, plan things on a computer I can't see it enough so I need to sort of almost see it in 3D so so I had these pieces of paper so I knew that pretty much in each chapter I needed to have horn progression maybe a couple in each chapter also I had one of my young students Rosie I wanted to have her progression as well through the book um, and then peppered with that I guess with each chapter, I wanted to have a kind of nice ebb and flow. So depending on what I felt a story conveyed, how philosophical it was, how simply narrative it was, um, then mixing those up. I didn't want the book to be 
heavy to read. You know, I wanted it to be an easy read, which which I think I succeeded in uh, with. And um, and so then just kind of making that flow. But but again, you know, I, I would plan it on my floor here um, and I would start with the plan, but then I would often go off piste and, you know, I'd end up somewhere completely different, but it sort of somehow worked and then I kind of rejig it and yeah, so it was very much a kind of work in progress, but with with a with a clear foundation. I think that that was probably important for me. So the all of the different um, stories. I, I mean, I've read lots of books and and, and memoirs that include um, vignettes and anecdotes, and sometimes and and what this has your book has is this incredible balance of each of the stories because sometimes you read these things and you just, you spent a bit too long on that one you know um so how did you what was your measure to make sure that you had the right balance so that it wasn't going in too much depth in any particular area because it's easy to do that Yes, that's right. And um, I guess uh, a few things. One of the things that I did at the end of each day. So I wrote this book very quickly. I wrote it in about 10 weeks. Wow. Uh, just, just a little bit more than that. But yeah, I was really under the pump because the de deadline was put back by HarperCollins. Then it was brought forward. And Mary Rennie, who's the publisher, she wrote to me and she said, can you do it by, I think it was the end of February, something like that. And I just looked at my schedule and I wasn't teaching over the summer. And, you know, we weren't going anywhere because it was still COVID times. And, um, and I just thought, you know, I, I think I can. Um, so, so I did. I mean, it was pretty stressful sometimes, but, you know, I was just like head down, bum up really for a lot of that summer. And it was a rainy summer. And so at the end of each day, so I would, I write in the afternoon. It's when my brain, I think, is calmest and, and a little bit tired as well. I find I write quite well when I'm actually a little bit tired. I think things relax then. So I'd get to the end of each day about five o'clock and Charlie, my partner and I and little dog Happy would um, go out for a walk, just literally around the block. And I'd tell Charlie what I had been writing about that day. And she'd tell me what she'd been doing uh, with Happy. And then we'd come back and we'd have a whiskey and some chips. And then um, I'd read her what I had written that day. So I'd ah. read it out loud to her. Now, Charlie is actually a wonderful editor because she has very clear um, indications of when she doesn't think something's good or when she gets a bit bored. <laughs> and so I would note when she seemed to have lost interest and I'd sort of make a little note in the manuscript there and that word ask her and she'd, you know, she would sometimes say, or oh, maybe that was a bit long or whatever. And, um, and so she, she was actually a fantastic person to read it to, but also very much, I think the, the, the act of reading out loud, reading mm. your writing out loud. And I know a lot of writers do this, you know, for me being a musician and a radio person, that thing of hearing it, and then you can hear the cadence, you can hear the flow, you can hear the rhythm of the language more clearly for me. And so I would make quite a lot of edits then. And so eventually, by the time I'd sent in the manuscript, it was a pretty clean manuscript. And mm -hmm. uh, the editor, uh, Simone Ford, she was very happy with it. And, and the, um, uh, the proofreader was as well, you know, because it was, I'd, I'd given it a really good scrub before I sent it in.
Mm. So very, that's so great that you have a live-in editor <laughs> in that yes. sense. So if once you got your deadline, you thought, okay, I now have to write it, and you said you wrote mainly in the afternoons, did you have, did you, because you said you're a planner, kind of plan out, I'm going to write this bit this day, this bit this day, or did you try to get to a certain number of words and did you write in a linear fashion or did you just write and then piece together? Yeah, um, so I tend to write in a linear fashion, but not always. My first book, Cadence, I wrote a story here and a story there to kind of get into it because that was my first book and nobody told me how to write a book. So I just kind of had to get into it. And I'll tell you what, actually with this book, in fact, I've just remembered this book, I was terrified of writing it for the whole year. So I'd said to Mary Rennie, um, she'd wanted an earlier deadline. And I said, look, I really just need a little bit of a rest, you know, because I was doing a lot of work and um, and I just felt like I needed more time to think about it. So I essentially had a year from um, agreement to, to, to deadline. And during that year, I've got this very good friend, Martin Buzzacott, who works with me on the, on the ABC. He's a presenter as well. And Martin's wonderful. He's written many, many books himself. And um, each time I saw Martin, I would come in and I say, I've got this idea of doing it like this or like this. And Martin was very sort of sage and nodded and said, that sounds great, Ed. And then I come in the next week and go, I've got, what about this? And all the time I was making these little notes on my phone. And so eventually it sort of got to the end of the year and it came together sort of very, very quickly. But I still like the idea of the book, but I still hadn't actually really started writing anything. And so actually the first, the very first bit I wrote was a bit, the beginning of the last chapter and the last chapter is love. And I had written about um, a piece of music, which is by an American composer, Morton Lauridson, and the piece is called O Magnum Mysterium. And I had first heard this piece when I had come back from Kabul, back to Brisbane to um, start my transitioning from female to male and was having chest surgery. And I had first heard this piece there and it really was an enormous event in my life. And so I wrote about that, about listening to this music and the effect on me and how I could finally essentially just let go and allow my transition to start happening. So that in its own way was, I think the start of the book, even though it was very much towards the end. And that gave me the, um, the tenor or the tone of the book. And um, it was serious, but at the same time, I hope it had a sort of lightness to it. And uh, that's very much what I wanted the book to have. I wanted to have a, a lightness and a really easy flow. So a bit like sort of floating down the Brisbane River. It was, yeah, that it was, um, it was an intense experience writing that first passage. And once I'd kind of broken the barrier, then everything flowed from there and then I could write it very quickly. So I essentially had a thousand words a day, six days a week, um, definitely with a day off. Uh, sometimes I had to have two days off, so I just sort of up my word count from there. I'd try and get ahead if I could. And if I got a little bit behind, I try not to worry about it if it was a particularly difficult day, but it didn't often happen. I do think with, for me, with writer's block is that writer's block for me is that you have not thought enough about what you want to say. Oh, that is a really good observation. Um, 
Now, let's talk. So you mentioned that piece of music uh, that had such an effect on you and you mentioned various pieces of music. And I just want to tell all listeners, you don't need to know music at all to appreciate and love this book. Like you don't need to have heard any of any of the pieces and you don't even have had to play to to really get this book. But let's talk about the music because I'm going to I have a confession that when I started reading, I actually um, would stop, go find the piece of music that you mentioned. Yeah, great. That's exactly what I wanted. Well, no, I I, I started doing it at the start, but then it broke my flow of reading. Okay. Yeah. So then I decided, okay, at the end, I'm going to make a Spotify playlist and just do a It Is playlist. And then I was very heartened to find that the, the list is actually yes. <laughs> at the end. And there's, the there's an album as well. The ABC has an album. I'm sure they'll be very happy that I say that. Fantastic. And um, so did you pick pieces of music that you knew you wanted to include because for whatever reason, Or did you decide to write about specific incidents in your life and then see what piece of music could be brought in? Yeah, sort of a little bit of both. So, for instance, at one point I wrote about this English composer, Michael Tippett, who uh, was a composer in the 20th century. He died at the very end, I think, of the 20th century. A remarkable composer and a very, very difficult man. And uh, I had met him when I was very young, when I was still a student, with my student quartet and we played one of his pieces to him and so I wrote about this music because it was so difficult it was so angular and he himself was so angular as well and so I'd I put this in I can't remember which chapter that was in maybe wisdom I actually can't remember um and but I put that in with the sense of just remembering to play an Mm. instrument because I'd had so many remarkable teachers who did play their instruments and and I try and remind my own students of that, you know, when I talk about their practice as such, I don't say, did you do your practice this week? I said, did you have fun playing your cello or playing your viola this week? And just that use of language, I think it's a small thing, but it can turn into an enormous thing because especially for young people, just that reminder that this is, this is what you enjoy. You know, we play, we play music. And, and so something like that, I wanted to convey to that point. And then I thought about this, this time that I'd had with Michael Tippett, who stamped and got very grumpy at our quartet. It was really awful, it was quite terrifying, because he was so famous. And, and yeah, so, so I guess it's sort of a bit of a combination. There are some pieces where I was desperate to write about, like Max Richter, his work for violin and piano, Mercy. I was so desperate to write about that and listen to it a lot as I was writing. Um, other pieces I also really wanted to write about, but kind of a bit of both. Sometimes, you know, a story would come and I'd wonder, okay, what piece can illustrate this? Mm. Mm. So we have to circle back again to that first book because you said you have done O-Levels English and yet you are this incredible writer. Um, How? How did you (laughs) get this skill for writing? Not just skill, incredible incredible talent how well you know Valerie to be honest I actually don't know I mean I used to read a lot when I was young when I was a kid you just wouldn't find me without a book around I really read a lot and my mum was wonderful encouraging that she gave me Pickwick Papers by Dickens when I was 14 (laughs) we figured I needed to kind of up 
my uh, reading. And I would read everything. You know, I was really into Jackie Collins, for instance, when I was <laughs> uh, sort of 14, 50. I mean, what a great way to learn about sex from Jackie Collins. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, and I read all through college. I, I would read a lot in my 20s and I suppose 30s that, as well. I mean, it's sort of latterly, I, I feel that work has taken over a little bit and I've got out of the habit of reading. I think, you know, these mobile phones, they don't really help, do they? Mm-hmm. And you get into the habit of reading much shorter articles. But um, definitely when, you know, when I have breaks, it seems like such a treat to get up early and read. That's just such a delicious thing to do. And um, and I suppose I've become more discerning. I don't read Jackie Collins anymore, although it is a plan for this summer to go back to read, you know, some seriously sort of pulp fiction stuff. <laughs> I just think it must be very relaxing for the brain. Yes. It's an experiment. So so look, I had a wonderful English teachers. Um, I've just always loved words and the variety of words. But particularly for me, it's not so much using big unusual fancy words um it's more to do with putting certain words together and that's what i've observed with the writers that i love um which is the way that they put words together so there's a scene that you write about in some old church in europe a small church in europe where you're you're in an orchestra and there's a conductor called Michelle and you are all performing Schubert's Unfinished Symphony. Yes. And the way you describe it, it obviously went exceedingly beautifully and it worked really, really well in, in this unexpected, humble sort of spot. And, um, and you say, we left the stage to find Michelle, a man of few words, beneath a statue of Christ and Mother Mother Mary, a trio of weeping. He simply said, it was perfect. You were all perfect. At that point, did you know that it was perfect? Did you know that you had achieved something special at that that night? Um, We knew that afternoon. So this was when I was really quite young, sort of 19 or so. I was at the... um, Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester with the Chamber Orchestra. We were touring France. We were all very tired that afternoon. As you can imagine, students going on music tours, there's quite a lot of drinking and other (laughs) stuff going on. So um, definitely what happens on tour stays on tour with that one. But um, what what happened that afternoon was, again, you know, I write when I'm tired. I think what happened with that performance is that we were all very, very tired. It was the end of the tour. And... um, we knew the music very, very well at that point. And it's an exquisite piece. If, if you haven't heard, you know, for people listening, if you haven't heard Schubert's Unfinished Symphony, it's two movements, it doesn't last very long. And the slow movement, the second one in particular is absolutely divine. And there was something about the playing of that piece that it was very much an out of body experience that we, I think weren't aware of how extraordinary it was. And, and I have to say, and I know this sounds sort of a little bit woo-woo, but um, with this book, Whole Notes, it's actually been a similar experience that um, that afternoon we channeled Schubert through Michel Brandt, this wonderful French conductor. And he weeped, he, sorry, he wept, he wept afterwards. Um, and the same 
happened with this book as I was writing it, um, I really felt like I was channeling it. Um, that all these experiences, you know, they've been happening for so many years with me, they've been so intense often. And um, all I had to do was relax and let it come. So actually to enhance that, um, each morning I would make sure I meditated. So I do Vipassana meditation, which is a simple body awareness meditation. So I would meditate for an hour. Charlie also meditates. So she meditates downstairs with a group online, actually. And I'd be upstairs meditating. And um, look, I know that it's uh, maybe some people will roll their eyes and go oh, rubbish. But some people may always may actually go, oh, no, I get that. Because there's something about the vibrations that build up from a lot of meditation and the house vibrates and and your life begins to vibrate. And that's very much what I feel with music as well, that that comes into music and from music, it goes into your life. I think it's absolutely fascinating that you have said that you felt a similar thing with writing whole notes, because when I read that passage um, about, about Michelle leaving the stage and saying it was perfect, you are all perfect, I gasped. And I'm like, I thought to myself, I wonder if Ed knows that that is what he's done with this book. Yeah. So. Like, oh, that's very kind of you. Thank you, Valerie. Um, look, it's, it is a book that I, it's, I mean, I've, I've loved my other books, Danger Music about my year teaching in Afghanistan, a children's book set in Afghanistan about the power of music and, and Cadence, my first book. I mean, that was an amazing thing to have finished but there's something about this book which is so deeply personal that it's actually gone beyond the personal mm -hmm. that it's gone from personal to I, I mean I've I've tried to sort of make it loosely universal but I mean I don't know whether that's the case but um but um I'm I'm just very grateful that I was able to write it I'm going to detour slightly because um, I actually discovered you not through music at all. Yeah. Um, I actually discovered you, to be honest, by accident through the podcast app because uh, it was when you hosted the art show on the ABC. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, and I had no idea of your background. I thought yeah. you hosted the art show yeah. and I loved it. And I listened to every single episode. I remember driving in the car the day you announced that you were going to stop. And yeah. I literally cried out loud, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> and I think I went through like a week of grief after that, but I, it's all right, I got over it. Um, uh, so how in the world, I have to ask, how in the world did that come about? Because that's not writing, that's not music, that's, you know. <laughs> no, well, that's, that's another great question. So um, what happened with my work at the ABC is that I... Um, immigrated here to Australia and eventually started to work on the ABC. I'd done radio work in Hong Kong and eventually started to get work here um, on ABC Classic and then um, uh, got the uh, weekday breakfast show and I did that for about seven years. Um, but then I started to fall into a, a very profound depression because I was basically denying that I'm transgender and I was trying to avoid in a major, major way, the fact that I needed to transition. And I just thought I'll, I'll lose everything. And um, if I transition and, and the fact is that I did lose everything uh, because, I, because I didn't transition. 
Um, but it's it's all good because I now have this beautiful partner and a wonderful life. So I think it's all worked out how it was meant to too. But I tell you what, at the time it was terrifying. And so being depressed, um, I um, left the ABC with a, a in a great big sort of huff and um, went to Afghanistan and came back here to Brisbane, started to teach and really thought that the ABC wouldn't want me to come back because, you know, it wasn't the best way I'd left. Um, but I was very lucky that um, uh, somebody from Radio National, one of the managers there, uh, called me at the end of one year. And uh, the, the, I think my first year back in, in Brisbane and said, look, we'd, we'd love you to come and present either the book show or the art show. Which one do you want to do? And I was like, well, there's no way that I'm reading that many books in a week. So once again, being lazy, I thought, oh, the art show, this is great. You know, I, I mean, I love art. I don't know a lot about art, but I love it. My brother, Tim, is, a, is an artist. And I've, I've always really enjoyed talking about art and looking at, at art and talking to artists as well. So I figured, yeah, I'll do the art show. And so I did it for a couple of years and loved it. I learned so much. But after a couple of years, I thought, first of all, I'm not an artist. And perhaps there should be somebody presenting there who did really know something proper about art. And I just felt that my brain was being a little bit too pulled in too many directions. So at that point, I had also been offered a job back on ABC Classics. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll concentrate on this. And, and I'm glad I have. And um, Namilla did the show for a while. And um, now the guy who does Away. Oh... Um, <laughs> oh, anyway, we'll figure it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. That guy, he's and yes. he's really good. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you've decided to concentrate on more on music, and obviously you're 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 writing, and you're writing another book. I I understand. So, um, what's first of all, what was the most challenging thing about writing whole notes, or was it? just a flow because you were channeling you know your creative muse well I think that year thinking about what I was going to write so you know Mary Rennie had and I had come up with us with this idea I, I write um short little columns for ABC Classic once a week they're called Ed's Notebook and they're very short like four or five hundred words and the initial idea was to make a book out of them sort of plumped up a little bit um, and HarperCollins didn't want that. And so Mary and I sort of worked backwards and forwards on, on a book that we could pitch to their commissioning committee and eventually came up with this idea. Um, but then there was that year when I was thinking, <laughs> what am I going to write about? I mean, life lessons through music, it could go in any direction. Mm. And, and so that year, and this was the first year of COVID, so this was 2020, it was just terrifying because like every morning I would wake up and I'd think, oh crap, I don't know what I'm going to write about. And it was actually becoming um, really <laughs> difficult, you know, that I would put it off. I'm a great procrastinator. I have to build up a lot of steam. I just put it off and put it off. I decided in that year that I wouldn't even think about it until July. And then I had to start thinking about it. And I was making notes all the time, but I wasn't like dwelling on it. And then I started to dwell on it and I go to Martin, what about this? What about this? Um, so yeah, it was that year of thinking, what on earth is this book going to be? 
that was the most terrifying. And then once I'd written that first passage, then it was easy. But and that was because I built up such a lot of steam. Mm. Yeah. What um, what are you working on next? What are you working on now? Well, I'm working on my horn still. Yes. And are <laughs> um, you going to continue with it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm hoping to take my grade five next year. Wow. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I want to go, you know, up to grade eight. And I mean, I, I love my teacher. Peter is just so wonderful. He's such a brass Buddha. He really is. He's just fantastic. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and my own playing and teaching, I, I sort of feel like I've been pulled a little bit towards bookland this year and have I don't feel like I've taught quite as well as I want to so I want to concentrate on my teaching a little bit next year but also very much I what I feel very very strongly about is um telling transgender stories I I am a big believer that we need to tell our own stories and that cisgendered people people who are in their born gender that um, they need to um, back off our stories and let us tell them. And I, I write about this in Whole Notes, but um, there are certain writers who even write a transgender character in the first person. And I, I find that very challenging to accept. And they also quite often um, dramatize our lives and combine them with things like um, uh, social dysfunction, uh, poverty, um, some sort of uh, perversion and um, failure, essentially. And I tell you what, the transgender people I know are not nothing like that. They're extraordinary people who are doing jobs that keep Australia together. They have highly functional families. And it just actually it makes me really angry that there are these stories out there. So I figured, well, if cisgender people don't tell our stories, we need to tell our own stories. So that's what I'd like to do. In, do you know in what <coughs> form? Like, have you already decided you're going to write a book or? No, I don't know what form. I mean, I still, I like to think about things a lot. Though hmm. so it's definitely not something that I'm going to be leaping into straight away. I, I think Charlie would not be very happy if I did that. Yeah, so I just, I, I think it's nice, you know, to kind of, have a bit of an ebb and flow with your life and have some years where you're working very hard and other years where maybe you're sort of backing off a little bit and concentrating on on other things so I feel that with my writing I just like to take a bit of a step back and and think about the transgender thing and 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 sort of allow it to come in I'm a big believer in allowing things to come in and not forcing things I think that's when you get writer's block mm. when when you force things and finally, we always end with what are your top three tips for people who are listening to this, who, you know, they want to write like as you have, but they're from other careers, you know, they haven't been trained um, necessarily in that space. What would your top three tips be? Okay, well, first of all, it would definitely be have a really clear idea of what you want to write about and write it down just in dot points, but write it with a pencil on a piece of paper. Do not write it on your computer where it will get lost in some file or you'll accidentally delete it. It's, as studies have shown that when we use a pencil, particularly on a piece of paper, we access different parts of our brain. So I'm a big fan of a pencil and a piece of paper. 
you can use a lovely card, you know, treat yourself, <laughs> buy a really beautiful piece of paper, or just simply like get the midwifery foundation <laughs> of Queensland, a bit of uh, scrap paper that I've got here. Um, so, so that would be the first thing. Mm. The second thing would be to start. Mm. And it doesn't matter. It's, I think it's quite a well-known trick that um, certainly for screenwriters, I know that if they're under the pump and they've got a bit of a block, they'll just write and they'll try and write something that's, even if it's just complete and utter rubbish, they know it will never ever go to air, but they just write, just write, and you're just accessing, accessing. You know, it's like kneading the dough. The dough is a mess when you start to knead it and you think, how will this ever come together and rise? but you just dive in. The dough is never gonna rise and come together if you don't start. Mm -hmm. So you just have to start. And don't give yourself excuses with that starting. You know, if you want to be a writer, then duh, you need to write. So that would be the first thing, oh, the second thing. Sickening. And, and then the third thing would be like the best advice really I've ever had about writing. Actually two things, uh, keep words simple. That's from Winston Churchill. And the second thing is from the guy who wrote, now what's the book, is it Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close? Oh, that's not quite right. That book about 9-11. Oh, the American yes. writer. Um, is, it, is it Saffron Koa? I will find that out and mention yeah. it. <laughs> okay, okay. Anyway, that guy, um, I read an interview once with him in a magazine and he was talking about, his recommendations for writing and he said write the book that you would want to read mm. because that way when the critics read it and let's say they don't like it then you can hold your head up high and say well I like it mm. and Fantastic. that's really important. Great advice so look Thank you so much for your time today, Ed. I have to say, everyone, get a copy of Whole Notes. Ed, on a personal level, I think after reading this, you have changed the way I appreciate music. Not, not changed, actually. I think it was already in there. I think you've opened a door that was already there that was just locked. Great. Um, I think you've also it really made me think and influenced the way I approach one-on-one -on -one teaching. And... You have brought me to tears by the sheer beauty of your words. So uh, congratulations and um, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Valerie. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Just a little editor's note here that the current host of Radio National's The Art Show is Daniel Browning. That was the name that we couldn't remember. And the author of Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, of course, is um, Jonathan Safran Foa. There we go. Ed is. Now, Ed um, and I mentioned that uh, there's all this great music in, in the book. And um, I said that I would have liked to have created a Spotify playlist. And then after the interview, I actually went onto Spotify and I found that some other clever and industrious um, <laughs> researcher who a lover of music has created a Spotify playlist Someone about all of the music. and industrious than you? Surely not. <laughs> um, and I will put that link in the show notes because it's a beautiful 
uh, playlist and it's absolutely fantastic to listen to the music in it. You don't even have to like music to love this book. I think it's a absolutely fantastic memoir um, and I'm so pleased we could get Ed on the show. So, Can I ask a question? Yes. Um, I, I was just completely lost track of what I was going to ask you. What were we just talking about prior to that? Because I just, <laughs> uh, oh, why did the publisher not do the playlist? Would you not think that would be a straightforward? Well, like, because okay. <laughs> um, ABC uh, are going to put out their CD. <laughs> so they oh, probably want you to buy it. Okay. So for those of you who are not into Spotify, <laughs> you can buy the CD. <laughs> okay, you can sorry. buy the CD very soon. Um, and it, it, obviously that CD will have their specifically curated selections whereas no doubt whoever did the playlist on Spotify um you know they found whatever you know um uh versions or interpretations of the various music but um I suspect that the I I suspect I will actually go by the ABC one as well so that I can listen to the ones that have been handpicked okay all right yes good thanks for that All right. Well, oh my God. Al, I have to say it has been an honour and a privilege to have been your partner in crime for the last seven years. I actually remember it was exactly this time seven years ago because I said to you, I recall, if you recall, um, send me a photo of yourself. And you said, why? (laughs) And, And I just said, I'm not telling you. And um, I got that photo. So without Alison's knowledge, I created our podcast cover artwork. <laughs> and I said to her, when I had created it and I sent it to her, I said, how about we do this in the new year? <laughs> By the way, we've already got a cover. <laughs> what and a good was... idea it was. Like, look how much fun we've had over exactly. seven years of banging on about words of the week every <laughs> Like it's just like, wow, who'd have thought, right? Yeah, who'd have thought? I mean, I'm so thrilled that uh, she said yes. And through that time, her kids have grown up. She's released eight books or I don't know, how many books, Al? Is yeah, well, it eight? Eight, eight novels. Oh, eight novels through that one, time. And one So You Want to Be a Writer book, exactly. which we put together, which was hilarious as well. Like just oh, even the concept, goodness. we should do a book. Why didn't we do this before? <laughs> <laughs> So I am absolutely blessed to have had such a creative partner for this, this, the last seven years. Um, like I said, I'm going to be bereft without you. I'm going to have to learn how to stand on my own two feet. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I want to thank um, on behalf of all of the listeners from the bottom of their hearts as well, from our, all our collective hearts, um, for all of the time, passion, love, talent, professional insight that you have brought to the podcast and to the community as a whole and you are one of a kind and I'm going to get all emotional Oh, no, now. don't cry because then I'll cry and then the whole thing will end up a sodden mess at the end. 
No, thank you, Valerie. I mean, I it's been an absolute pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, one of the great things about doing the podcast has just been that opportunity for us to, you know, bang on at each other every week. And I think that um, it's it's a, it's a wonderful community that you well, you've created. Like, you know, the the writer center no, is at the heart created. of all of this stuff. And I think that, you know, we're, we are all incredibly lucky to have you and your motivation and your passion and your absolute ability to get 27 hours into every day. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I just don't know how you do it. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to miss you. And, look, you know, as I said, I'll be back. Like I'll be the guest. I'll yes, be that, that, absolutely. Like, that annoying guest person that just keeps popping up going, oh, by the way, I just <laughs> wanted to have a little chat with you about, you know, this. What do you reckon? Um, so, yeah, so I think I think it'll be great. And, of course, there's a couple of interviews still coming up that that have my voice all over them that you'll be hearing. And, yes, um, you know, if I get highly motivated, if, if I read something that really sparks my interest, I'll do some guest interviews as well because I, every once in a while um, something comes up and I think I just really want to know how that mm. how they did that. So that mm. will be the they'll be the ones. I just really want to know how they did that. You'll so. be our editor at large. Yeah. Oh, that's a, yeah, there you go. Mm. Lovely. I've always wanted to be one of those. Yes. I remember when I worked at Vogue, we had an editor at large, and I just thought it was the best job ever. She yes. kind of swanned in in high heels about once a month and told us all off and told us to change things and <laughs> wrote one story and then left again. So well, get that. your high heels out then, Al. <laughs> In a cloud with Chanel number five. <laughs> All right. And finally, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You, uh, that's where I live. And then you'll find me on Twitter <laughs> at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And I really do hope that if we're not already connected, that you will, you know, come and say hi, uh, even though you won't be hearing me weekly. Where do we find you, Val? Yes, definitely connect with Alison. You'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram. That's K-H-O-O and over at ValerieKoo.com. And of course, both of us wish you all a wonderful holiday and a brilliant start to 2022. Thanks for listening and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 